When your savings takes a hit, how do you bounce back? Today, I'm talking with Jess about how to build back her emergency fund after several big expenses set them back last year. We'll get into the details about navigating saving among all your other good goals, like paying down a van loan, investing for retirement, and still having fun with the family. How can we prioritize our money goals when the right choice isn't obvious? We'll talk about all of that with Jess on this episode. I'm your host, Carly Hill, and this is the Debt-Free Mom Podcast. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. You guys know I'm all about finding ways to minimize both clutter and overspending. If you're looking to reduce your clothes spending while still having new styles to try, this is for you. I have a couple events coming up that I'd love to have new pieces for. With the clothes I got from Armoire, I can have multiple high-end options for the price of one outfit. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash debtfreemom. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash debtfreemom to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Today, I have Jess Marshall with me. Jess is a small business owner working from home and a stay-at-home mom. Her and her husband have three daughters ranging from three months to seven years. They decided 2023 would be the year that they take control of their finances. So Jess is here to talk about goal setting and how to work on our goals in order when we have so many good things that we want to do with our money. So welcome, Jess. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I am so excited. I want you to know that you are asking one of the most common questions that comes up all the time because it's so difficult because we're deciding between a bunch of good things, right? Like when we're looking at the idea of wanting to pay for a vehicle in cash instead of getting a loan and wanting to rebuild our emergency fund. And then somebody else is saying that we need to invest for retirement, but we should take our kids on a vacation. And we have this whole list and they all sound like good things. It's like, well, what do I cut or what do I not do? And so it's, it is a big struggle in personal finance. And I'm really glad that you are here to dive into this with me. You know, we have all these goals. We had to pause some of them. We were investing. We were doing a bunch of stuff. And then 2022, we had some planned big expenses and that was fine. But then we had several unplanned big expenses. And so we got to the end of the year and we're like, oh my goodness, what do we do? So actually I bought your pay period budget template. I think it was your Black Friday sale when it was $7, which is totally doable also. So I started using it December then. So I've been using it for just a few pay periods, but I'm obsessed with budgeting. It's funny because I used someone who didn't even want to try to bother with it because I never could find a way that worked, but your way works for me. So thank you. Awesome. What schedule are you guys on? So my husband gets paid every other Friday. Right now with my business, I started at the end of 2021. So last year was a lot of investing in it and I wasn't really bringing in much income. This year, I feel really good about it and I feel like it's a building year and it will be a year that I can start to contribute to our income again. Because before I started my business, I was getting regular paychecks. So our main source of income is my husband's paycheck every other Thursday, actually. I do find that people who are bi-weekly see the most 
clarity and the most relief when switching from trying to budget monthly to trying to budget by pay period because it's just it's so funny to try and fit a bi-weekly schedule into a monthly budget because not only are you not paid on the first of the month but the actual dates that you're paid are jumping around all the time so it's like I might figure out this month when I'm paid the third and the 17th but then next month I'm paid the 10th and the 17th or whatever and so I know that a lot of times that bi-weekly method is the one where it's like oh the light bulb has gone off and now I see the cash flowing in and out on these bi-weekly schedules which makes it so much easier to feel like you actually know what's going on in your bank account. Yes, exactly. I've tried budgeting many different ways before and I never liked it. It never made sense to me because it was always monthly budgets. So yeah, when I saw yours, I'm like, oh yeah, moment, this is doable. It's almost like when we're paid matters or something. (laughs) Okay, so you said that last year was full of a lot of different expected and unexpected large expenses, which takes a hit on the emergency fund, which first of all, I know it feels like that's a bad thing, but kudos to you guys for having it and for being able to ride that out. Even though the emergency fund might feel low, think about how it would have felt to experience those things and not have the emergency fund. It can be stressful to think about rebuilding the emergency fund, but I always want to pause and remember to celebrate the idea that we had it in the first place and it did its job, right? Like it protected you from the things that you expected and the things that you couldn't expect. Building up the emergency fund is something that I think takes top priority when it gets low. And I wonder as you went through that year of having those expenses, now you're on like the backside of that and those have passed. Does it help motivate you to build the emergency fund quick because you saw how beneficial it was last year? Or are you feeling more burned out by the idea of having to save over a long period of time? I feel burned out because honestly, the money from that emergency fund was a large gift of money that we received the Christmas before. So we didn't have to slowly build up that emergency fund. It was basically gifted to us, which I mean, I'm so grateful for. But now, yeah, we're having to slowly over time do it. So like, How do we do this while tackling, yes, all the other expected expenses that are going to be coming up too? So I do really believe that when we have an emergency fund that is underfunded, which to me at minimum is if our emergency fund wouldn't even cover one month of expenses, that to me is like a a very low emergency fund. Then we get into amounts where people are like, well, my emergency fund has one month of expenses, but I would like it to get up to, you know, four or five months or whatever. So is yours less than or more than one month worth of income? Let me look at my budget. (laughs) I'd say it covers probably about one month. One month. Okay. So I would say building it to two to three months would be that first goal that I would set as we're setting those goals for ourselves, there are certain goals that can kind of happen at the same time, like investing and saving up for a vacation or something. But then there are other goals that really benefit the most from being the focus of our attention, of our financial attention until we achieve those goals. So I think just even thinking back to what has happened in your past year of how as awful as it is, how many things can happen at the same time that are out of our control. And so really focusing on as quickly as possible, building that emergency fund up to two to three months of expenses is really going to be where you feel a level of security that maybe you don't have right now when you're looking at it, thinking that is smaller than I would like it to be. I do think that the 
benefit of having a fuller emergency fund of two to three months gives us a level of security that we don't have without it, that it really needs to be that priority number one. So I would say as much as possible to strip back some of the extra stuff like the vacations or home renovations or things that are in that category and really focus on the emergency fund, getting up to a higher level of two to three months of expenses. And then with a vehicle, so you mentioned that you have a vehicle that needs to be replaced within the next five years um, and that you just paid off a different vehicle last year. Is that right? No, we just bought one last year. Oh, you just bought one last year. That was an unexpected expense. There was lots of expenses happening that it was becoming more expensive to maintain it than it was going to be worth to have. Plus, I was pregnant with our third child. So we're like, well, if we're going to get a bigger vehicle, this is probably the time to do it. So we spent more money on a vehicle than initially I was expecting because we wanted a, we had a Toyota Sienna. I know you have those because we were like, let's pay more upfront because it's going to last us longer. And I don't know if we should or shouldn't have, but we did use some uh, money from the emergency fund for it so that have to finance as much of it. But now I'm wondering if we should have done that. So we still have a a good chunk of that. Well, most of that to pay off. It's like, do we do that first? Or do we start saving up for the next vehicle knowing that we'll have to do one because I don't want to have two car payments. So interest rates are really variable right now. So if you get to three or four years from now and the car interest rates have come back down, well, then it makes more sense to pay off the van that has the high interest rate or the current vehicle that has the high interest rate and take on a loan at a much lower interest rate. So it kind of depends on a few variables that you might not know ahead of time. And another one would be if the other vehicle that you're looking to replace is just going to be like a small commuter vehicle. So most likely the payment would be low. Then it's like, okay, let's focus on paying off the current vehicle that has a higher or higher payment because then you would be trading a high payment for a lower payment. But if, for example, it's going to be a truck or something that is a large payment, then we want to think through which payment are we more comfortable with taking on. So I do think that as we build the emergency fund, you can kind of think of it as doubling for both saving up for your emergency fund and then saving up for whatever it's going to look like to replace a vehicle. So for example, like we don't current, we're not currently saving up to replace a car, but if one of our cars totally died, we would use the emergency fund to help replace it because that's preferable to taking out an entire loan, for example. So as we build that savings, then if you get to the point where you're like, okay, now we know that it's not just five years down the road that we're going to replace the car. We're going to replace it next year. Then we can start to look at what specifically is the vehicle that we're going to buy going rates, the going interest rates at the time, and then weigh the two of them of, okay, I want to to pay off. I either want to pay off my existing car loan or I want to pay for the next vehicle in cash so that I don't have two car loans. Then we can start to compare which one will work better in your budget. So for example, if the car that you're going to buy in five years would have such a lower interest rate and a lower payment than what you currently have, then it makes the most sense to go ahead and pay off the one that you currently have and take the loan for the new one because the payment will go down so much more. Um, but I think I think with all of those things in mind, if I were in your shoes, I would probably just focus on saving cash 
because saving our cash in our own bank account means that we have total control over what we do with it today and over what we do with it five years from now versus deciding to pay a bunch extra on a loan. Once we make those extra loan payments, we can't be like, hey, Toyota, can I have that back? I changed my mind. In those seasons where our emergency fund feels low and we feel like we're or approaching a large expense like a car replacement, I tend to pause the extra debt payments and save the cash in my own bank account because then I can decide what to do with it. Even if, you know, five years from now, you decide that all that money that you saved up is going to go to pay off the van that you just bought, then you can just dump it all on that loan and pay it off at once or whatever it might be. But you allow yourself the option to decide that by keeping the cash in your own account. It will probably help you gain more momentum and just feel like you're moving forward a little faster if you don't try to do so many things at the same time and instead say, okay, we're going to set a benchmark goal like 10,000 or some nice clean number where you're like, that's the only thing that we're going to focus on until we get to that goal. And then once we get to 10,000, then we're going to start to ask ourselves, do we want to focus on paying down the car loan or do we want to focus on a trip next year or whatever it might be, but you'll have so much more confidence in doing that if you know that you're also sitting on a $10,000 emergency fund, for example, than trying to do that with a low emergency fund. As far as investing, if your husband is offered like a match or anything with the employer, I, I wouldn't give that up because that is like free money in your pocket. So as much as possible, I wouldn't stop taking an employer match or anything like that. But then over and above that, I I would prioritize the emergency fund over extra investments in the short term. Now, if we get to that emergency fund being full and now we're looking at, do I pay off the 4% interest car loan or do I invest in retirement? That's when I would start to kind of spread out my money towards my goals where I wouldn't want to go too long. Like I wouldn't want to go three or four years without investing for retirement. I think it's good a good thing to pause in the really, really short term when you're like, yep, we had a really expensive 2022 and we have to get our emergency fund filled back up, but we're going to do that as quick as possible so that we can return to the investing that we had been doing. Uh, which one of the goals out of all the ones that you had listed with vehicle, emergency fund, house projects, which one is feels most important to you right now? Just for a sense of security, building up that emergency fund would probably be priority number one, like you were talking about. Then, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to be pay off current vehicle or save up for next vehicle. I guess what is a high interest rate for vehicle loan? Because the, the that we purchased, it's at 3.89%. I don't know if that's low, medium, high. That's low. For, for right now, as the interest rates are high, like, that's lower than what a lot of people are getting for mortgages, which is usually not the case. Usually mortgages are like the lowest interest rate loan out there. And then things like vehicles and student loans are usually the next one and, and personal loans and then credit cards are way, way, way high up. So I would say if you have that under 5% interest rate, and I would have to Google and compare like, what do we have? What are the car interest rates right now? But I would say that you would probably then benefit the most from saving up cash and buying your next vehicle in cash. Currently, the average right now as of the end of December is 5.16%. 
So that you guys got a great rate on that one for that car loan. So yeah, in light of that, I really would save cash as much as possible for your next vehicle, knowing that the current loan that you have is probably going to end up being a lower rate than what you could get five years from now on trying to buy another one. And then the other thing too is depending on how that car payment that you currently have feels in your budget, there's one of two things you could do. So in invest in long-term retirement investing, typically we can expect over, a, over several decades, over a long period of time, that our average return is going to be between 8 and 10% over the life of our investments. So when we're comparing, do I want to spend my money paying off a 3% interest loan, or do I want to invest for that for more like that 8 to 10% in the long term? The answer would be that it's better to slowly pay the car loan and invest because the investment is going to earn a higher percent interest than the car loan has interest being accrued on it. However, the big caveat I give to that is if the car payment itself is so large that your personal budget just feels stressed or strained by that payment, then we want to go ahead and prioritize paying it off, even if we're like, oh, well, the math doesn't work out for paying it off because of the interest rates, but the interest rates aren't the only factor. So if you get to that point where you're like, okay, now do I invest heavily for retirement or do I pay off the car? You might, you know, just straight math wise, if the only thing we were asking about is interest rate, then we would want to just go ahead and invest and pay the car loan off slowly. But I think the way our budget feels really, really matters. And so if you just feel like it's such a heavy payment that it's burdening your budget and not making room for your goals, and all you can think about is, oh, once that $400 a month payment is gone, then I can do so much more. If that's how you're feeling, then just go ahead and focus on paying it off. There's not a clear black and white, right or wrong. You know, somebody somewhere is going to tell you that that's right. And someone's going to tell you that it's wrong. So you can be the judge of that. Does the payment currently feel like something that you manage well, or are you dreaming of like, oh, once that payment is gone, it'll feel so much better. I am dreaming of it being gone because we haven't had a car payment for several years. So now that we do, it's just kind of, you know, that and our mortgage, obviously, are like our mm -hmm. biggest payments every month. And it's just like, oh, it'd be nice if one of these was gone. And I know mortgage is not going to be gone anytime soon. So yeah. It would help alleviate some budget stress if we could pay that vehicle off sooner than just making the, the minimum payments. Sure. Um, so I guess, too, because, you know, we'll have our taxes done soon and we usually get a return. We were kind of thinking like, OK, what do we do with that? Should we put some of it in the emergency fund and then throw the other chunk at the van? I think especially with that tax return coming in the next couple months, throw probably a good half of that at the emergency fund so that we feel good about that and not like nothing horrible happens. And then probably the rest of it, at least most of it at the van so that, you know, we can at least take that down another few thousand. And the thing to think about that is unlike a credit card. So the way credit cards work with their minimum payment is that the minimum payment is always a like percent basically of the balance. So the more you pay the balance down, the smaller the minimum payment becomes. With a car, unfortunately, even if you pay off a large chunk of it, you're not going to see an immediate benefit to your budget because the car payment is going to stay exactly the same no matter what the balance is. So the 
obviously the perk of paying a chunk off is that you avoid interest on all of that balance that you're paying down. But I think it just depends on what you feel the most confident in doing with your with that tax return, for example. I would say if the tax return amount ends up being the amount you need to refill your emergency fund, I would put all of it into the emergency fund. Because then you can check that box and you can say like, that's full, that's done. And I can turn my focus to my next goal where when we, if we split it and we do, okay, the emergency fund is going to get half of it and the van is going to get half of it. Then you halfway fill up your emergency fund and then you drop a chunk on the van, but it doesn't free up any of your future income in order to go towards your next goal. So then refilling the rest of the emergency fund is going to take just as long as if you hadn't done that in the first place, where if the amount that you get in the return ends up being enough to actually fill the emergency fund, then that means whatever extra money you have each month moving forward after that can entirely go to your next goal. So it can entirely go to paying down the van or it can entirely go to saving up for your next vehicle. So I would say if it comes back enough where you're like, hey, if we dumped all that in the emergency fund, the emergency fund is back to full, I would go ahead and do that because not only will that feel more secure, but that's just more exciting. That's more fun to be like, hey, that goal is done. Like instead of waiting years and years, like you said, it's just done, it's full and we can move on. I think it's hard to focus on too many things at the same time. Because when we take that chunk of change and we're like, oh, wow, like that tax return is $5,000. That feels like so much money. But then we start to divvy it up into several different things. And then we're like, wait, I got $5,000 and I don't really feel like I made a bunch of progress in anything. So the more we can keep it focused on one thing, the more we're like, oh, that's a sizable jump in my goals, or that's a sizable decrease in the timeline it's going to take me to pay that off. And then it just feeds our motivation to keep going. Sure. Okay. I like, I like that plan better than the plan I just came up with two minutes. I think that it's important for you and for me and anybody listening to realize that there's not one plan. There's not like, I, if I do this, then I'm doing the right thing. And if I do this, then I'm doing the wrong thing. There's two, it's just too complex for that. And also we're not just looking at the math. So I think people get it wrong when they just look at the math of it. And they're like, this is the interest rate here. And this is the interest rate here. So this is what you have to do. But the way we feel about our money and our motivation and our emotions and our relationship with the money and our ability to sleep at night, knowing what our balance is like that to me plays just as important of a role in what we decide to do as the math of it does. That's why I asked, you know, if one of them just felt more important to you, because if that one feels the most important, then that's the one that we want to be working on, because then in the long run, you will see the most success doing it that way, because you're like, hey, the thing that really mattered to me, we accomplished, we did it, and now we can move on to our next one. I spent years feeling frustrated that my money wasn't working the way it should. It wasn't until I discovered the magic of budgeting by pay period rather than by month that my money started to feel stable. Pay Period Budget Academy is my signature budgeting course that helps hundreds of women take control of their home finances. Join today at debtfreemom.co slash PBA and use the code podcast at checkout to get 20% off your membership. 
So in the short term, those would be the two things that I would think would be the best focus for you, building that emergency fund and then thinking through saving up for that next vehicle, whatever that might look like. And then in the long term, so some of the things you mentioned too were like vacations and house projects and you know some of those smaller things where we kind of dream up like, oh, it would be great to do X, Y, Z. And then we feel like it's always 10 steps ahead of us where we never actually get to that. So out of those kind of expenses, what would you say for like your family is top of the list for you of like, this is the one we really want to do? We usually rent a cottage for a week every summer, and we are not able to do that this summer because of finances, and we're all just really disappointed. So even, Mm -hmm. you know, making that possible to do, or if we decide to do a different vacation instead, we're kind of, like I said, disappointed that we can't do our usual fun cottage week, but I, I know we'll be able to do it again. So I think just saving up for those fun things too. But also I want to redo the kitchen cabinets and the flooring, but that's not priority, right? Yeah. They're fine. They're fine. I just don't love them and they're not in great shape, but yeah. So I would say family activities, family vacations, just being able to go do fun things. So I would set a goal of some of the not fun goals, like the emergency fund feels boring or paying off a van feels not that exciting. I would set a goal and a reward for that trip, whatever that trip looks like, whether it's going to be the same cottage or picking somewhere else. And I would, I would set really specific things like when our emergency fund has X amount of dollars and when the van balance is under this, then we're going to take that trip. Even if that means that once you do that, once you get to that emergency fund balance, and once you get to that van balance or whatever those goals are, even if that means pausing the goals for three or four months so that you can save up for the trip, I think hinging the not fun stuff onto the fun stuff and saying, this is the reward that our whole family would really benefit from that we missed, that we feel sad about, we're going to kind of dangle the carrot for ourselves, right? And, you know, maybe print a picture of the cottage or whatever and put it on the fridge and be like, hey, if we're consistent in our budget and consistent in our spending and using the tax return for the emergency fund, then that means that that puts us one month closer to going on the trip that we're really excited about. And so forcing ourselves to see the relationship between doing the not fun stuff opens the door for the fun stuff. It can sometimes be hard to see that connection between does it really matter if I get takeout tonight or not? Does it really impact anything? And remind ourselves like, hey, it really does. And it it is getting us one step closer. So even if it's a little thermometer that we can color and build up that our emergency fund is climbing higher and higher and at the top of it is that vacation, then we get the whole family on board. And that's also a, a really low barrier way to involve the kids in something like that in a positive way, you know, instead of being like, oh, well, we can't tell the kids that we're in debt or that our savings account doesn't have enough or whatever. Kids love things like eat a little goal, they color it in or whatever. We have a little chart on the side of our fridge that is for our mortgage payoff. And we're, we're only paying minimums. We're not even trying to pay off our house faster, but I still have it on there and I color it in every time we pay off another 1% of our house. And the kids think it's the 
funniest thing. Like it looks like a little game board. And so they're like, oh, you bought a little more of our house today. And so seeing that, especially when the reward itself is something that they're going to be involved in, then it's like a cool thing to do, you know, and it makes it more tangible for them. So I always like to balance the not fun with the fun because I just think it's so important for the long term. So especially as I'm hearing you say, just feeling burned out on the idea of this long road of savings and paying things off, I think it would be really fun to be like, this is the thing that we're missing or that we wish we would be able to do. And as soon as we hit this little milestone, then as soon as we do that, we're going to pause our other goals and all the extra money for three or four months is going to go into a vacation fund and we're all taking a trip. I think that really helps with feeling more motivated and feeling less burned out, especially in the short term. So does that sound like something that would help to light a little bit more of a fire under you for those long-term goals? Yeah, I do like that idea because within the last few months, we have cut like anything fun, basically, because we have to right now. And it was daunting. How long do we have to live like and see, you know, before basically we give ourselves permission to be able to spend money on fun things. We're going to like a a water park hotel for our daughter's birthday because we usually do that, you know, but even that I felt guilty spending money on it, even though it's, it's just. It's essential that our family does fun things like. I don't like when other finance gurus recommend like that you shouldn't see the inside of a restaurant unless you're working there while you're paying off debt or whatever those things are, because I just think it ignores that human piece of like, we are humans that need to enjoy things and have fun. If I could just give one thing for people, for you and for people listening who have a long road of goals in front of them is to have benchmarker rewards along the way, not just a reward that's at the very tail end of getting through all of it, but little things along the way that really help us to see how cutting something temporarily is actually adding to your life instead of taking away from it. Because if we only focus on what we're removing from our budget, then we walk away from that conversation focused on everything that we just lost. I can temporarily miss out on this because I'm really interested in the reward that I have set for myself. So it could be even things like if you have personal spending cash for you and your husband each month, say every time we add another thousand to the emergency fund, we give ourselves five more dollars a month. So that like as your emergency fund is climbing, then your personal spending cash is also climbing. Just all those different ways that make it tangible to see that you are being rewarded for the perseverance and for the discipline in your budget because it should feel like something that is benefiting you, not a list of rules that is making your life unfun. (laughs) I don't know if it was you that shared it about how you talk about these things with your kids. I think it was. I think you shared on your story a month or two ago. But explaining to our kids, they, oh, can we go to Culver's for supper tonight? Can we get this at the store? And instead just saying, no, no, we don't have money or we can't afford that. It's been like, well, we could, but then we'll have less money to spend on fun things like XYZ, right? Like going to the park, um, you know, having donuts for breakfast um, at the water park and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I really like that way of explaining it to kids. And you're right. I don't know why I don't talk about it to myself like that. Yeah. I'm so focused on the restriction, which 
in my job as a health coach, I don't like to help my clients like in a way of restriction either. So I don't kind of light bulb moment right now. Why am I talking to myself in that restrictive way? Because obviously it doesn't work. That's not how habit change works. It's amazing how across the board, any coaching or any advice giving at all, we're so much harder on ourselves than we ever would be on somebody else. If you're working with someone and they're like, oh, all I'm focusing on is what I'm not having, then you would be the first one to be like, oh, but look at what you're gaining and look at all the all the positive things. And we just have to learn to speak to ourselves with that same wisdom, that same kindness, and also just that same perspective of Yes, I am removing things from my budget or I am decreasing categories, but that's not the total picture, right? And so I could choose to simply think about over and over again that, you know, oh, well, six months ago, I was able to eat out all the time and now I can't. And so now I'm just thinking about how I can't eat out. But if we make ourselves write it down or say it out loud or whatever it is in a way that emphasizes what we're gaining by doing those things, then the exact same habit feels so much better and feels so much more positive in my life overall because I'm reminded of the good that it's offering to my life instead of being constantly reminded of the restriction that it's offering me. And yeah, I think it's true that we are good about it with kids too, because we it forces ourselves to think about it in more simple terms. So we're like, what do I want my kids in a simple way to know about money? And then we just have to look in the mirror and reflect that back to ourselves too. And remember that whatever lesson we're offering them, we also could probably benefit from ourselves. When I say no to buying something, I don't want the conclusion that they have to walk away with, my mom can't buy anything. And so I try to frame it differently. In both situations, we're not buying the thing. But the reason that we give matters so much in terms of how they walk away from it. They're still not getting the thing, but they walk away feeling excited about what the future offers them instead of just focused on what they're declining today. With our kids being seven and five, a lot of us, I think, have, I don't want to say damaging, I don't know, negative thoughts or backgrounds about money or how we approach things or even like. The fact that entrepreneurship, I'm sure you know, there's a lot of talk about you have to accept that like you are basically worthy of money. You can, you know, make more money and it's okay. You can accept that. I think just especially last year with all of our finances and building my business and everything, it made me really, really examine our families, but also my personal relationship and thought process around money and income and all the same way that we recommend investing dollars into our retirement, it's also investing effort and focus into our money mindset that might take some focused effort right now, but it will then pay rewards long after we've actually done the work. So like in investing, you have to do a lot of effort at the beginning, which feels hard and feels like, what am I even doing this for? I'm not seeing the rewards of it. But then years down the road, we keep seeing the rewards even after we're done doing the work. In retirement, we're not actively adding to our money or adding to our investments, but we're getting all these rewards out of it. And our mindset and our approach and our relationship with money is the exact same way where I might not have to always do this kind of 
specific conversations to myself where I actually say out loud, you don't need that thing. You have all of these. But if I do that in the beginning, then it becomes more and more natural to me until I get to a point where my mind automatically goes to that positive, abundant mindset because I put in the work earlier. But sometimes we just have a hard time going over the hurdle of putting in the effort earlier to see those rewards later. Anytime we can do that, we just, we benefit and flourish so much. Do you have any questions about then like the long-term idea of how to carry that momentum past those short-term things? They haven't even mentioned this because it's kind of been off the table for the last year, but instead of renting our cottage, we would love to own a small cottage, not like a super fancy lake house, but like own a small cottage. So I think after those, those kind of initial things are done, that would probably be our next big goal. We haven't talked about it much lately because there's other priority. Yeah. That's just kind of a big dream of ours to do. I think the amazing thing about that too, is that you also have the option of having it be a revenue stream as well. If you're not there, then you can rent it out and it can be some become something that actually cash flows positively for you instead of just being an expense. I think that's an amazing thing to work towards in the long term. And just like we have the smaller benchmarks that we've mentioned before of do the extra personal spending cash for yourself as you build things up. I think also having those big dreams that are so much higher than what you're currently doing can help to motivate you to not just be so caught up in the short term that we realize like we don't want to get 10 years down the road and look back and be like, oh, if I had just done X, Y, and Z 10 years ago, I would be able to buy a cottage now. For you and for people listening, like taking some time to actually write down not just the small, but actually writing down the big dreams, like at the top of the paper, like these are the big things. And then asking ourselves under that, what's the boring stuff that just has to happen in order for the big, amazing dreams to then happen later? As much as we like to think that we're really good at just like connecting the dots in our head, we're actually not as good at that as we like to think that we are like making those connections between the boring tasks and the exciting adventures. So I think taking a little bit of time, especially dreaming it up, you and your husband together, the next time you're looking at the budget together, be like, okay, this is not just about the spreadsheet. This is not just about making sure the bills are paid. What we're doing right now is a down payment on a cottage in 10 or 15 years, right? Because that habit and that momentum with our money actually will roll into opening those bigger doors down the road. Last year before things kind of went haywire with our finances, I wrote down a five-year goal to buy a cottage. And now I'm like, okay, it's not going to happen in five years. But yeah, you know, it's maybe that's going to be more of a 10 to 15-year goal now. But yeah, it's it's important to us. We just, instead of renting one every every year, we want to own our own one and you know, be able to take our kids and hopefully future grandkids. And we just, we love lake life. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do with retirement is just lounge by the lake. I love that so much. And I hope as you move forward and stay consistent with that budget and with the goals that we all recognize that those highs and lows and those years that drained our emergency fund are just part of it. Like that we didn't do anything wrong. Maybe our time timeline ends up being, like you said, longer than we thought, or the emergency fund is lower than we thought. But when we realize like we don't have to fight against that because it's it's just part of managing money when so many factors are out of our control, 
my plan A is not working out. I'm going to grieve that for a day. And then I'm going to really quickly just set my sights on plan B and move forward with that plan B. And that's going to be the quickest path to whatever that reward is that we're looking for. That mental energy going to what could have been is is not moving me towards anything that I actually want for my future. So I'm going to take a moment to grieve it because we wish that it had gone differently. But then the quickest path to the thing that you really are wanting is to be like, what is the reality? Now? Comparing our reality to what we thought would be and comparing ourselves to other people, it just steals how much joy is right in front of us and available to us. And having those rewards, having those big, that cottage that you want to buy, like having that in front of you and being like, I'm going to put blinders on to everything else, to what I thought would happen and to what anybody else is doing and focus on what our budget is and what our family priorities are. It just starts to feel so much lighter. Also with budget being tight and, you know, having to really watch everything, it's just made me really grateful for what we do have and thankful. And I'm a Christian woman, so just very thankful to God for the blessings that we do have. Because, yeah, you can look at, oh, what we don't have. Look at what so-and-so is doing. Oh, I wish we could do that. But also look at what we do have and mm-hmm. look at the blessings are. And so I think even we need to get our finances together has really made us look at what we do have and what we are grateful for. Because uh, we're still putting food on the table. We still have a roof over our heads. And so, yeah, if we don't get our cottage in five years, oh, well. But, um, I'm, you know, we're still very, very thankful for what we do have and teaching our kids that too, right? I think often we think that a bigger paycheck would solve all of our problems, right? Like the only thing standing between me and the financial security that I want is to just get paid more. And first of all, I'm here to say that I've worked on enough budgets to say that the higher the income, the more problems typically. But also I think the people who actually feel just a little bit of the weight of this is how much we have coming in and we have to be effective and wise with what we're doing with it because we just don't have infinite amounts of cash available. Those are actually the people who see better progress than the ones who have enough extra cash that they're just like, eh, it doesn't matter how I spend or it doesn't matter what I do. In the long term, the people who recognize my paycheck is finite, it's a set amount of money and I have to plan what I'm going to do with it so that I have extra and it can go to my goals. I see those people make much more consistent progress with the goals that they have than the people who earn enough that they feel like they don't need to manage their money, that they don't need to have a budget, that they don't need to track what they're doing. Something happens to our mindset when we make those kind of dollars that we just let it go. Like we're like, oh, it's fine. But as we combine that wise financial planning with gratitude and contentment, those are absolutely hands down the people that I see make more progress and more momentum with their financial goals than the ones who are wallowing in, oh, I have enough and it's fine and I'm just going to let it go. So what you're echoing with, we're monitoring our budget and we're tracking our expenses and we're trying to be wise with it because we know it's tight. Those are all things that I'm hearing from you that are people that make progress. (laughs) And so being faithful in the plan that you have set out, even if in the small day-to-day, it doesn't feel like it's actually getting you there, the habits that you're describing and the mindset that I can hear you having is what gets us there. Like the boring stuff is what makes the progress. It's not the crazy 
investment that your weird cousin has that if you just did this, everything would be fine. It's the boring, consistent stuff that actually does get us to the big, wild goals like buying a cottage. Exactly what I tell my clients, right? Like we coaching and it's the boring stuff, not the extreme. So again, I need to remind myself what I am telling <laughs> everybody else. Yeah. And just remembering how it can apply to different areas of our life, right? Like in, in the same way that you're like, oh, that's exactly what I tell coaching clients. I can sit here and talk this way about money, but then I turn to being a productive person or, you know, in my managing my home and I don't apply any of the stuff that I know about money to any other area of my life, which is why like we need each other, right? Like I yes. need to listen to people who are basically saying the same thing that I am just about a different area of life. So it's just hearing it from different people's stories like you in different ways at different times where we're like, okay, now it clicks. We can't all be awesome at everything, right? No, we cannot. We cannot. Absolutely not. And I think we assume when someone's awesome at one thing that they're awesome at all of it until we see <laughs> their pantry or the back of their van or something. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience, yes. uh, I have one question that I close out everything with. It's just like a fun thing about money that I think gives an insight into how a person operates. So before we go, two-part question. Number one, if you had an extra $5 and you had to just spend it on yourself, what would you buy? I, oh, I don't know. Why is that such a hard question to answer? It's harder than it seems, isn't it? Yeah. Five dollars. I'd probably get a coffee from our local coffee shop and a baked good. Okay. That is also what I would do. So good answer. <laughs> and then same kind of thing, but if it was an extra five thousand, what would you do? Family vacation. I love asking that because it just gives a little window into what are those priorities that are on the $5 side. It's like just one of those little fun things that just get you through the day and give you a big, you know, boost of energy. And then the 5,001 is more of what are your dreams. So thank you Jess, so much for coming on. I think this conversation will really help the people who are also wondering, what do I do with this long list of goals? How do I approach it? And then I love that we dove into the mindset needed to actually get there, not just the nuts and bolts of the math and the interest rates, but also like, how do we approach it in a way that feels like we're making momentum and like we're doing things that are exciting and not restrictive. And I also just love the connection that we made between the work that you do and then also applying that to ourselves and just remembering to be kind to ourselves about it. Thank you. This was like finance therapy for me. <laughs> I love that. I'm so glad. Jess was so fun to talk to. And I know there are a lot of you like Jess who are thinking through how to prioritize all of your money goals. She was thinking about replacing a vehicle, paying off existing debt, whether or not they can go on vacation, saving for retirement, and a whole lot more. Do you ever feel stuck between lots of good options too? What's right for Jess or right for me might not be what's right for you and your situation. However, there are a couple of things to keep in mind that can help you make your own decisions on what to prioritize. Number one, what can you do now to free up future income? Paying off debt to free up the cash you're using towards minimum payments is one way to increase the gap between your income and expenses. Remember, not all debt is set up in the same way. Like I mentioned to Jess, making extra payments on your mortgage will save you some interest down the road, but it's not going to make a big difference in your budget in the near term because your monthly payment will stay exactly the same. 
Number two, reward yourself for your progress. Set small benchmarks along the way toward your big financial goals and decide ahead of time how you're going to celebrate your progress. Go out to eat as a family, take a small vacation that you had been putting off, or maybe something as simple as a large coffee while you're out. Number three, don't be harder on yourself than you are on other people. Jess was recognizing that she was not giving herself the same advice she gives her coaching clients about changing their habits. I think we all have this tendency to beat ourselves up over our flaws and mistakes, and we might just need to think about coaching ourselves from an outside point of view. Ask yourself, what advice would I give if I were talking to a friend? I'm confident that Jess is going to make more progress on these goals than she gives herself credit for, and I know that you can do the same with a little bit of focus, planning, and patience. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Mom podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances.